actually see a miracle that Jamie, she's my last daughter to get married, and I still got money in my wallet. (laughs) Okay, but seriously, folks, turn to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, and I usually tell you that there's a Bible in front of you underneath the seat, but there's no underneath the seat here today. So if anybody needs a Bible, if you raise your hands, the ushers will bring one to you. Joshua chapter 23, I'll go ahead and give an introduction and then we'll get into our scripture. You're probably wondering, where is Philippians? Well, we're taking a break from Philippians and really what we're looking at is a state of our country, a state of our nation. I think the birthday, the celebration of our nation's birth is a good time to take stock of where we are at. And it doesn't matter where we're at in any other way, but where we're at in the Lord, and as we know, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. God knew this, and so God gave certain warnings. And what I'll I'll point out today is God gave even certain warnings in in the course of history. As Israel is entering into the promised land, God gave warnings. He, He told them everything that was necessary for godliness. But also, at the inception of our nation, as our nation started, He gave us warnings as well. Now, this is based off a message I gave as we were studying through Joshua, but I've updated it for today, and I believe it's very appropriate for today. So, we've got a man back in Genesis named Enoch. Most of you know Enoch. He's a man who had a very close relationship with the Lord. We're told in the book of Genesis that Enoch walked with God. Enoch had fellowship, close fellowship with God. This was during the time that was just before the flood. And Enoch lived his life in a manner that was well-pleasing to God when it was very difficult to do. Evil reigned during those days. And we can look at our lives, and it's a difficult thing to do. And you can offer every excuse why you don't have such a close walk with God, but if Enoch did it, you can do it as well. We have responsibility, regardless of where our nation is, regardless of where the leadership is, that we need to be a people who witness the Lord Jesus Christ verbally, but also live the Lord Jesus Christ physically, that we would walk with God. Not so much that God would take us, and I so look forward to the time that God does, but as for now, that he would use us. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 through 6, he, Enoch, had this testimony. This is the testimony of this man, Enoch, that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So on this day, just a couple of days after the birthday of our nation, what is our testimony? What is our testimony as a nation? Are we pleasing God as individuals? Are we pleasing God as a nation? Do we believe that he is? I don't really think so. But as a Christian, am I living my life as if I believe that he is? Are we diligently seeking after the Lord? Are we diligently seeking after the Lord as a nation? No. How about as God's church? You can answer that. Are we walking with God? If we face reality as it is reflected through the Bible, the answer to these questions as a nation, and even that which calls itself the church as a collective, no. So as the answer is undeniable, the question must be considered, what do we need to do to get back to be a nation, to a people that please God? Now, if I, if you voted for Pastor Mike, no, not Pastor of the Year, but you voted for me for President, Pastor Mike, what do we need to do? 
but we're going to need to consider some things of the past that God has spoken to us. Because it's a theological concept that repenting always precedes cleansing that will lead to pleasing. And so if we were a nation that was to repent, what do we need to do? Where do we need to look back in the past to understand where we need to be today and how we need to conduct our lives today? So again, I'm going to look this morning at a couple of past warnings, how God spoke through certain leaders of nations and how a nation was to set his heart right before God. And so what we have here in Joshua, Joshua chapter 23, second to the last chapter, is the farewell address of General Joshua, the leader, this man who God had chosen to lead his people into the promised land who God has worked a miracle because they weren't the strongest people, they weren't most numerous, but God was on their side. And God established this nation through men and women who had a heart to follow after. Now again, as we look at Deuteronomy, as we look at Exodus, as we look at Joshua, they weren't perfect people by any stretch of the imagination, but it was through the grace of God that the nation Israel was established. God went before them and made that way straight. And as they had their eyes upon the Lord... He caused the land to be cleansed and this nation established. As a way of setting the stage, as General Joshua addresses his people for the last time, I'm also going to relate it to the establishment of our nation. I'm going to relate what General Joshua says here in chapter 23 to something that General George said quite a long time ago. We know that the future generations of General Joshua's people didn't take his advice. They strayed from the word, and it didn't work out so well for them. As a nation, they completely fell apart and were even cast to the wind a few times. Now, as we live in the time of the future generations of General George, our nation doesn't seem to be doing so well also. What is the advice that George gave upon his departure? How does that line up with the biblical advice that we see from General Joshua? Where did things go askew? Now, there's a different George here that I'm going to quote. I don't want you to get them mixed up. But a man named George Santayana, he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And again, 200 years, our nation 200 plus years, is just a drop in the bucket compared to Israel. And we saw that Israel... Well, they lasted 200 plus years, but it was after that time that they were led into Assyrian captivity and Babylonian captivity. And we see it's very, well, it shouldn't be strange, it should be very obvious, but there's people from the Assyrian, from the Babylonian portion of the world that seem to be pounding on our gates even today. We need to wake up and get the message. So are we repeating the mistakes of those who have gone before us? So we're going to run a comparison today of General George Washington's farewell address, which he delivered to the people. It was written to the people of the United States of America. It was near the end of his second term as president of the United States, and it was just before his retirement to Mount Vernon. General George's final words in comparison to General Joshua's final words, and we're going to see some very close similarities. We're going to see that, well, if, if, if Israel would have adhered to what Joshua told them to do, they would have been so much better off. And, and again, they would look back in captivity if only we'd been obedient to what we were told right at the beginning. 
And we'll see some of these things in General George as well, that if only we would have taken heed to these things, which in actuality is all he is doing is reiterating what Joshua had said. But keep in mind, Joshua and the things that Joshua says is the inspired word of God. The things that George said is not the inspired word of God, but I see how it reinforces the word of God, something that we can't ignore, this parallel that exists between the words of warning spoken and the course of nations. So my first point this morning that I want to look at, General George's first point in his farewell address, was the importance of maintaining unity. The importance of maintaining unity. General George made the point that the states needed to be unified and the people of the states needed to be unified as well. Our Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Well, General Joshua in Joshua chapter 23, verses 1 through 2, Now it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age. And Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for the heads, for the judges, for all their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. Joshua did not play favorites. Really what he's doing is bringing all the people before him but just in the representatives. Obviously, he could not meet with all the people of the land, and so he called this group of representatives before that this message would filter down through to all the tribes, all of the people. He brought the elders, the recognized leaders, because of experience and maturity. He brought the heads, which were the thinkers of the day. The judges, they were the deciders of the day. They would take the word of God and render their judgments based upon the word of God. And he brought the officers, the lower level leaders, such as governors, if you will, and mayors and so on. And the message that Joshua was to deliver, again, was to permeate down throughout all of society. Well, I think General George and what he had to say about maintaining unity, he he had an understanding that anything good is going to come under attack. I don't know to what degree General George understood the concept of spiritual warfare, but spiritual warfare is a reality, and division is a key weapon that the enemy uses. Again, it's said that the devil cannot, cannot defeat the church from the outside, so he joined the church and tried to defeat it from the inside, and he does a very good job at that. Division, division just simply destroys, and as we get back to our study in Philippians chapter 4, we'll see some elements of that. And so George, he warns the union of states created by the Constitution that, well, this Constitution that that God, we've seen, has used to unify the states is going to come under frequent and focused attacks by both foreign and domestic enemies. There's going to be a war. There's going to be a battle here. And, And we need to see that as well, even as the church that there's going to be that which God has given us as a cover to freely preach his word, there's going to be a spiritual attack there. If we have freedom of religion, and really what that means is religion has freedom from interaction by government, well, that's going to be reinterpreted at some point in history, around the 1950s, and it's going to be reinterpreted that government should be free from religion. But that's not what the founding fathers had in mind. If you don't believe me, go read your Constitution. 
your constitution. And today, you can Google it. Google the Constitution, and you'll see nowhere does it say that religion is to be separate from government, but they were worried about government being separate from religion, uh, trespassing into religion. And so George understands that this Constitution is going to be attacked. And today, never constitutionally has our nation ever been as fragmented as it is today. Even our current president is circumventing what the Constitution has, has, uh, has stated and how he is to conduct business with his executive decisions. Executive decisions run rampant will lead to dictatorship. We need to be mindful of that. We need to understand, regardless if you're Democrat or Republican here today, it's not an attack on Democrat or Republican or even the man, but what is, being, what is happening even right now. And so we've got to be mindful of the Constitution and how God has used the Constitution. And a couple of points from now, we'll keep that in the proper perspective because, again, that is not the inspired word of God, but it is something God has used to bless this nation. seems like the majority of our freedoms are under attack today. So consider these comparisons between George and Joshua. We see in verse 1 that, oh, it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel. It was a time of peace. And during George's day, it was a time of peace. The Revolutionary War is over. It's a new nation. We're moving forward. Joshua, we've settled the land. The battles are over. We're going to be moving forward from this place. But it's there. Both nations have come upon peace. But it's there in the midst of peace that the warning is given. I'm not going to turn there, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 3 and 6, it says there's going to be a time when it's peace and safety, peace and safety. But the Lord tells us, be careful, because it's then that sudden destruction is, destruction is going to come. It's then that you're so easily letting your guard down. And really, what is peace a lot of times when it comes to a nation? It's usually the calm before the storm. Both leaders, we see in the last part of verse 1, Joshua was old and advanced in age. Joshua was about 110 years old during this time. George, when he gave his farewell address, was about 60 years old. He was further than the average life expectancy of a man during those times. And so both of the men, these great leaders, are well advanced in years. So they're starting to think beyond themselves. They're starting to think of the generations that are going to forget what God has done, that didn't experience it, that didn't see it, that they're just going to hear about it, and they're concerned that maybe they won't take it as serious as those who had been there. Both speak from the standpoint of wisdom and experience that age offers. Proverbs 16:31, the silver-headed or haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. Verse 3. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight so you shall possess their land and the Lord your, that your Lord, or as the Lord your God, promised you. The success of the future is dependent upon their identity of that day. Their identity of that day, well, for Israel, it was the fact that God was to be their God. 
that you were to make God your God. Because again, there was no king at this time. King, the king was God. And, and man, again, that was the purpose of those judges. Man was to, was to seek after the judge, and the judge would seek after the Lord, and the decisions would be rendered based upon the word of God. General George said, to promote the strength of the union, he urges the people to place their identity as Americans above their identities as members of a state, city, or region and focus their effort and affection on the country above all their local interests. Now again, this isn't scripture. I would say place your identity as Christians above your identity of anything else whatsoever and your affections upon the Lord. And that's what Joshua was encouraging his people to do. But either way, American or Israelite, never forget that it was God who delivered you from the foreigner and set you up as a sovereign nation. Again, Israel, you were least amongst all people. The people that inhabited the land were greater than you, but it was God who moved his hand, delivered you, brought you in, delivered you from Egypt, brought you into this promised land and gave you that land. And you can say the same thing about the United States of America. Every year, my son laughs and said, <laughs> I post on Facebook, happy 4th of July, England, in his silly way. He's trying to rub it in their face. Don't laugh, he just encourages them. But England at that day was the most powerful nation in the world. It was said that the sun never sets upon the English empire because they had holdings worldwide. But the United States, this remnant of people who got together they were able to defeat that great nation, that most powerful nation. And really what they were, the majority of them, they were just simply farmers and just simply lay people. But God did an amazing thing, and he established this nation. And we can never forget, we can never forget that it was by the hand of God that this nation exists. Secondly, General George's second point in his farewell address was encouragement to submit to the Constitution. Now, this is very important, especially when it comes to General Joshua. Constitution, that written document that was to be the standard in defining who this country is. George knew as long as we had this anchor, and as long as men adhered to this anchor, things would go well for us. We wouldn't get, because man has that descended, descended, has that tendency to fragment and to go off in different directions, but this was to be a unifying factor. Well, look at verse 6. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. You look at that and you think, that sounds mighty familiar. Well, it's because Joshua is quoting to the people what God had spoken to him in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. This is before they go in to conquer the land. And God told Joshua, verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have a good success. For the very first time in chapter 1, what I had just read, for the very first time as a man was called to go and to do God's work. Well, first, Mo, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua, 
Joshua is told to be strong and to be courageous. Why would God have to tell him to be strong and courageous? Because he realized his weakness and he was probably afraid. Because before, Joshua was a mighty general, but he always had Moses to depend upon. And what are we told in the beginning of Joshua? Moses, my servant, is dead. And I can imagine when he heard those words, it probably hit him like a ton of bricks. It's me now. It's me. Now, it's God without a doubt, but he's understanding that he's going to be responsible. But God tells him, be courageous, be strong. Now, you can tell somebody to not be afraid. Man up, Tinkerbell. But what are you basing that upon? Now, I mean, it carries a lot more weight when God says it. Well, for the very first time that a man sets out to do the will of God, he now possesses the word of God for a guide. Never before has the man, as man, had the written word of God. And so God is basing courage and strength upon the written word of God. See, Joshua's guide and the source of blessing, it's been given to him. It's been given to him so that he can draw strength from it, that he can draw courage from it. Well, just before God's people entered into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 24 through 26, we are told over here, so it was when Moses had completed writing the words of the law in a book, so when Moses completed it, tells us it's the first one, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. And so Moses knew the propensity of man. He knew that this would be a witness against them, but for the purpose of getting back to where they need to be. And so Joshua Joshua has got something that is beyond value, especially for any leader that's going to do any work. He's got the word of God. Well, you look at the leaders that established this nation. It was established based upon the word of God. You can't deny that. It's very obvious. Most of the people who established this nation signed the Declaration of Independence and were involved. They may not necessarily have been Christians, It's doubtful if Thomas Jefferson was really a Christian or Benjamin Franklin, but they believed in God. They they feared God. I don't know if they were saved. I don't know. I don't know the hearts of men. But they had a fear of God, and they used the word of God. And because they used the word of God for so many centuries, this nation could be strong and courageous. We still are to a degree, although that has, has faded. But Joshua, he understands the importance of the written word of God because if you look at the next chapter, chapter 24, down at verse 26, it says, Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us, It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. He set a memorial. And the memorial, well, it wasn't in the rock, it wasn't in the stone, but it's what they have heard. The word of God would have been delivered to Joshua, plus Joshua entered Joshua into that. The things that had happened and the things he had seen and how God had moved. And so when they would see that memorial, they would be reminded of God and the word of God. 
and the necessity of following the word of God and the necessity of adhering to the word of God. Well, our founding fathers, they understood that concept of a memorial. And that's what our Constitution was to be. It was established as an anchor of blessings that our nation could always come back to to re-zero itself or to reset itself when it got too fragmented, when it got too far out there. This was the original intent of our founding fathers. And the only thing that could negate the purpose of the Constitution would be if people got inside of it and started fiddling with it. They started changing it, started reinterpreting it. And then, well, it won't be long until it falls apart, at least unable to achieve its purpose. As dear to us as our Constitution is, and since it's the best that man can do, we have the Word of God telling us all that God is able to do. See, the knowledge of the Word of God will cause you to know the God of the Word. And so God's Word, God's Word has been delivered to mankind so that mankind, regardless of what's going on around them, can be strong and can be courageous. Because we live today in some very frightful times. Frightful times, even with the damage that is done to our Constitution, well, the Word of God supersedes that. I still have that, which, although people do change, nobody can really and truly change it. People may misrepresent it, is what I'm trying to say, but why still, we still have that standard. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14-17, through 17, But you, Paul is really hitting this home to young Timothy, but you must continue in the things which you have which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, that from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, the whole Bible, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, both General Joshua and General George understood the importance of having that anchor. That anchor that would never change, and that anchor, as long as it was adhered to, would keep a nation going in the proper direction. Unfortunately, through disobedience or not adhering to that, we see the truthfulness in that. Thirdly, General George's third point in his farewell address was a warning of the danger of foreign relations, alliances, and free trade. Once again, making reference to proper behavior based upon religious doctrine and morality, Washington advocates a policy. When I say Washington, I mean George Washington, not Washington today. George Washington advocates a policy of good faith and justice towards all nations and urges American people to avoid long-term friendly relations or rivalries with any nation. He argues these attachments and uh, animosity towards nations will only cloud the government's judgment in its foreign policy. Washington, George Washington, makes an extended reference to the dangers of foreign nations who will seek to influence the American people and government. He makes a point to say that he believes both nations who may, who may be considered friendly as well as nations considered enemies will try to influence the government to do their will and it will only be real patriots who ignore popular opinion and resist the influence of friendly nations to seek what is best for their own country. 
Well, what did General Joshua say? Verse 7, And least you go amongst these nations who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. Based upon our Christian constitution, relations with the world, for any reason, are a threat to Christian nations. But even then, we have seen our borders. We have seen our borders soften. Well, Pastor Mike, what does it say in the Statue of Liberty? Aren't we to be accepting of all people? Yeah, we are to be accepting of all people. And there needs to be laws in the land and how people can be accepted into this nation. There's no doubt about that. But what have we done? We've ignored the laws of the lands and we've ignored our borders to the detriment of, well, both sides of the border. And what I mean by that, and hear me out, we have illegal aliens that have, well, just permeated this nation. But the problem isn't with them. I see the problem with us. We have chosen to ignore the laws. Yeah, we call them illegal, but we kind of coax them in in order to do the things that we don't really want to do. And then we have a problem with them. Well, whose fault is that? I mean, we've got these moral dilemmas that are going on. A child that is born in America through parents that have entered illegally, and we don't know what to do. Well, it's not that it's not their fault completely, but we need to look at ourselves because we have created this dilemma. And you look at our laws upon the book, and you look at God's laws, it's just the nature of a law that you have to adhere to it. If you turned a blind eye to it, it's going to come back and bite you. Because God's laws, there's judgment attached to that. Even in the church, we kind of put aside judgment. Well, judgment is a bigger reality than grace is. Because grace does not exist unless there's judgment. Now, if there's no judgment, I'm sorry, if there's no grace, judgment still exists. So since judgment does exist, and I thank God that grace exists, there's no doubt about that, but it only exists because there's the law. And there's going to be the adherence to the law by God. God will surely judge according to his judgments. He'll give grace to those who give their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, that's a reality. And we need to see it that it's a reality within our nation as well, that we have to adhere to the laws. If there's a bad law, then we need to change it. And I pray for those people because these are human beings that we have messed with their lives. And now we just don't know what to do. We need to get it right. If it's a bad law, it's a law that needs to be changed. And so as far as the church, just as Joshua is saying, do not have a relationship with the world. It will drag you down. Now look at this nation and our relations with those of the world and the church and our relation with those of the world. We are not to become part of the world, but we are to interact with the world we are for the purpose of the gospel and it's obviously that our nation ought not to be total isolationalist that has never completely and totally worked but we've got to exercise some common biblical sense here in how we do it and that's what george's main concern was that there's going to be people that try and again another avenue of spiritual attack through ally or enemy, they're going to present themselves one or two ways. One's going to destroy from the inside. One will destroy from the outside. But the fact of the matter is both will destroy. General Joshua realized that as well, that, well, you can have these attacks that come from the outside or these, and it's kind of, I shouldn't say funny, but 
it says in verse 7, and least you go amongst these nations who remain among you? That shouldn't be in the word of God because they were commanded to go and destroy those nations. Joshua is realizing that they have not fulfilled the totality of what God had told them to do, and that was sin on their part because it was going to be those nations that really drug them down. We didn't see the outside attack until Israel was softened up by the inside attack. When the attack came from the inside as they adhered to the gods of the land and whatnot, it softened them up until the Assyrians and Babylonians, hundreds of years from now, but nonetheless, or from here, nonetheless came in and destroyed the nation. And we can see that happening even today. We need to use wisdom. We need to use common sense as a nation. But unless we adhere to God's word, it's just flat out not going to happen. Fourthly, General George's fourth point in his farewell address was a warning of the danger of political parties, verses 9 through 11. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations, but as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. Therefore, take heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. One political party, God, and everything else was under God. They didn't have political parties. Anything, division, Pharisee, Sadducee, so on, that all came from mankind. It was to be one nation under God. But what have we done today? We've entered this fallacy of political party where it's not so much I'm American, it's I'm Democrat, I'm Republican, and it seems like the allegiance to that is stronger than the allegiance to the nation. Washington goes on to argue that political parties must be restrained in a popularly elected government because of their tendency to distract the government from their duties, create unfounded jealousies amongst groups and regions, raise false alarms among the people, promote riots and insurgents, and provide foreign nations and interests access to the government where they can impose their will upon the country. George's concern is what we've seen come to pass in our day concerning political parties. They, you have a, a party, and what is it almost its prime purpose for existence is to seek more power for itself and less power for the other party. What are they doing? They're trying to take revenge, and you see this in our Congress, and, well, you see it throughout, trying to get revenge upon the other party. There is a Republican or Democrat does something completely contrary, then all of a sudden there's this focus of the opposite party to get that person out of office. It's not for the betterment of the people or the nation. It's for the betterment of their cause, the cause of that particular party. And really, gradually, it leads to absolute power of an individual or a group. And that's not what was intended through our Constitution in our land. In our Christian community, we even do this with denominations. And what does it ultimately cause once again? There's divisions. Divisions in that which God wants to use for his glory. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9, finally, what are Peter's last words? He did go on to write 2 Peter, but nonetheless. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, 
Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Not rendering evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Part of the reason our nation isn't blessed is because of the divisions of the political parties that we have. The Democrats hate the Republicans, and the Republicans hate the Democrats. And I'm, re- I'm frustrated by certain people in certain parties and certain parties and their agendas. There's no doubt about that. But is this really what was intended from the beginning? Is this was really intended that Americans would choose up sides and come against one another? Well, really, the biggest problem in that is biblical morals, is the lack of biblical morals and those who want to cleave to biblical morals. But nonetheless, it's turned out to be divisive in our nation. <clears throat> Fifthly, General George's fifth point in his farewell address was a warning against credit and government borrowing, national debt. Verses 12 through 13, what General Joshua had to say, or else, if indeed you go back and cling to the remnant of those nations, these that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they to you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. He's understanding you're going to go into bondage to these nations. Well, when it comes to credit and government borrowing, we saw in our study in Proverbs a couple of weeks ago, 22.7, the borrower is servant to the lender. We've got great national debt today. We're in debt to China. How did we get in debt to a communist country? How did that happen? Well, it happened because of just lack of control. George said, says he urges the American people to preserve the national credit by avoiding unnecessary borrowing and paying off any national debt as quickly as possible so that future generations do not have to take on the financial burdens that others have taken on themselves. I've known people because of their debt, because they have been, well, they became a servant to the lender, they even disqualified themselves from the work of ministry. We have to because of the debt that we have as individuals. You don't have a choice. You have to get up in the morning. You have to go to work. Well, Pastor Mike, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. I understand that. But I also understand the debt that we can so easily get ourselves into that we become a slave to those whom we have borrowed money from. It happens nationally and it happens individually. And so Joshua is warning his people, do not become a slave to these people. Well, if you read on, you'll find out that they became a slave to those people. George is saying, don't become a slave to the people of the world because they will not only influence you, but they will rule over you. Sixthly, General George's sixth point in his farewell address was the necessity of checks and balances. Verse 14, General Joshua says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And he says, I'm going to die. And you know in all of your hearts and in all of your souls that not one thing has failed all of the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land, which the Lord your God has given you. 
checks and balances. Well, for God's people, they were blessings and curses to keep proper perspective and moving in the right direction. Well, General George says he continued his defense of the Constitution by stating his belief that the system of checks and balances and separation of powers within it are important means of preserving a I'm sorry, of preventing a single person or group from seizing the control of the country. There's got to be the necessary checks and balances. Why? Because man's heart is continuously towards himself. Continuously towards himself. What's the thing, the main thing that somebody who has a little power wants? A little bit more. And a little bit more and a little bit more. And you can look at that as a person. You can look at that as a party. Regardless, it all fits the same. God gave his people checks and balances, blessings and curses. We need to make sure that we maintain this. We need to make sure that the president maintains this. It's God's series of checks and balances, blessed and curses that keep me in the knowledge of his control that he has over my life. And it shows me the futility of shows me how, well, the futility of myself as I try to take control of my life. 2 Corinthians 12, 7, And least I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, least I be exalted above measure. Paul was given those checks and balances in his life. Seventhly and lastly, General George's seventh point in his farewell address was a warning to maintain religion, morality, and proper education. Verse 16, General Joshua, And when you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and borrowed down, uh, bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. General George, one of the most Reference parts of Washington's letter was his strong support of the importance of religion and morality and not only promoting private and public happiness, but also in promoting the political prosperity of the nation. He argues that religious principles promote the protection of property, reputation, and life that are the foundations of justice. Washington goes so far as to say that the nation's morality cannot be maintained without religion and sincere morality is necessary in popular, popularly elected governments. Religion is vital in maintaining the proper elected government of the United States. And what have we done in the United States? We've thrown it all out the window. We've thrown it all out the window. Who is it who defines our morals today? Everybody's doing what is right in their own sight. And if you read through the Acts, you'll find out that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing because really what it brought in was, well, it brought in the enemy, and the enemy destroyed. And it can be the same thing in this nation. And even worse than that, those who have been called to be salt in this nation. Because we are even more responsible as we go away from this nation. Because we are the ones who have been called to be representatives in this nation. So I, I look at this nation and I ask and I want you to consider, are we doing what we are supposed to be doing? Are we truly being that salt and light to see that these things are maintained? Now, again, don't forget, Washington's were not or inspired by God. Those were a man's words, but I have to believe they were a man's words 
that he had an, at least an idea of what went on in God's word. But considering God's word, considering where we are today, is the church doing what the church is supposed to be doing? And that's too broad. Are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? And my answer would be no. And my answer for myself, as I ask myself that question, would be no as well. Because for one, you can always be doing more. Nobody has ever done it all and is finished. It's something that we got to constantly, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, to reach forward to that higher calling in Christ Jesus. But God made it very clear through Solomon, and I'll close with this in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Very popular, but again, I want you to focus upon what is being said. If, it's one of those if-then things, if my people who are called by my name, I would say, I would imagine the majority of you would be consider yourself to be called by his name, call yourself Christians. If my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, really you should have the if and the end underlined or circled, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so all i got to do is look at our land today and look at the landscape of the United States of America, and then I would ask you, is God's people who are called by his name, have they humbled themselves? Are they praying, and are they seeking the face of God, and have they turned from their wicked ways? And the answer to that is no, because the land is very evil, and it's very far from God today. And if we want change to happen, we can't just sit here and complain about it, because who in the world wants to listen to whiners and complainers anyway? we got to go out, and we got to do something. And this is what God has told us to do. God has told us to pray. God has told us to seek his face. And God has told us to turn from our wicked, from, turn from the flesh. And God said, it's a promise. I know it's Old Testament, but it extends to even today. If we do this, God will heal the land. Because if we do this, then we'll see laws put in place that are according to the will of God. Right now, if you took this country in your hands and you presented it before God, God would say, get that unclean thing from my, away from my presence. And so what do we need to do? To clean it up. It's got to start from us. It's got to start with you. It's got to start with us. Well, God said, if, if, if you do this, understanding that there's going to be an element of people that don't, but if you do, if you are called by my name, because this has nothing to do with the world or the unbelievers, the responsibility is squarely upon God's people. If you pray, seek his face, turn from wicked ways, then God said, I'll heal. And since God's not healing, I have to Imagine that we are not, we are not praying, we are not seeking, and we are not turning. But the beauty of it all is we can stop and we can change. We can stop today. God said, if, if you start over with me, I'll start over with you. We need to have that mindset of seeking God's face today. Yeah, my conduct, my our conduct, it plays a part in that. It plays a part of who you are and in your relationship with the Lord. If you're acting like the world, then do not be surprised if you get thrown in with the world. But God's people are to be sanctified. We are to be separated from all these things. We are to be seeking the Lord out. And as we do, you will see a change. Father, once again, I just thank you for your word. And your word, Lord, we just see from cover to cover how relevant it is to society. Not just society today, but even all through our past history. We just see, Father, the integration of your word and the prophecies that were contained there in Israel that lend towards the truthfulness of the future prophecies that we have today. But again, Lord, we don't even have to look across the sea. We can look in this, the, the, our own nation. And we can even look in our own lives. 
And so, Father, I pray for born-again believers as we celebrate or have celebrated the birth of our nation, that we would see the responsibility that we have, not just to point out wrong, not just to complain, but, Father, to truly seek you out and to intercede on the the behalf of this nation. And so, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that these things just are, are so clear. But this clarity, it also brings responsibility. May we be a people, Father, who act responsible and Well, just before your holy throne, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?